DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It is time to talk NBA playoffs with David Locke. Brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David is here each and every week. David, good morning. I don't think we should talk about NBA playoffs. What would you like to talk about? I think we should talk about how great you and PK are. <laughs> All right. You got one hour, Locke. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I mean, that's just not enough time. I mean, seriously, like considering the run, the legacy, the history in the marketplace, the stories broken, the insight on multiple sports, the creativeness, any day you don't sing. I mean, there are just so many things to be thankful for when it comes to you two. 59 minutes. Keep going. Um... Thank you for being a friend. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Messed up everything, right? Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, you're my best friend. All right, we can come back to our greatness in a minute. But first, okay. the question of the morning. Mike Conley, what kind of impact does he have on Game 3? And should Jazz fans be worried? I've got... Two things for you here to assess before you freelance in whatever you want. That's why you're here. Number one, Moutier played 10 minutes in game one and 14 in game two. I assume Conley's going to get 30 minutes, maybe a little more than that, maybe 35. So at first, well, you're certainly getting Moutier's minutes, so Conley's going to be an upgrade. That's one. Two, I think if you're going to worry about anything, it's that move the ball Joe is going to replace Catch it and launch it, Joe. And catch it and launch it, Joe, is very helpful when you're trying to win. That might be the one thing to legitimately worry about. Reaction. Well, Joe's got to buy in. So, And I feel like, and maybe this is unfair on my part, but I feel like that's been not always the case. Joe really loves to run that high pick and roll and have the ball in his hand. And he does it fabulously. Um, but Mike needs to do that too, or Mike needs to do it. Mike's better off the sidelines, off some pin downs and some things of that nature at this point than coming straight down. And and at times I feel like I've seen when the difference between Joe when Mike plays and Mike doesn't is if he doesn't have the ball in his hands as much, he's not as engaged. But what I thought we saw as the bubble went on was Joe understanding what he could do because Boyan's not there. And with Boyan not there, and Boyan's the one who's taken, you know, leads the team in three-point attempts, I think, and also leads the team in transition three-point attempts, is that if Joe gets out and runs Mm -hmm. and gets available early, then launch it, Joe, actually has more chance to play. Um, You know, Joe, if Joe can get, Joe can go get five or six quick early three looks um, because he can, he can run up the floor and, and particularly get in the corners. I mean, I think we've talked about this a few times, but if you look at Joe's evolution as a career, he went from almost predominantly a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, and now he's actually one-to-one on off-the-bounce versus catch-and-shoot. And to his credit, he's done a, a remarkable job of improving his off-the-bounce. I think it was like 18% his first year, which just took too long, and, and he's improved that so dramatically. But he's still an unbelievably great catch-and-shoot guy. And so if he buys in to not coming back to the ball all the time or needing the ball and getting out in front of the defense and move, and getting up the floor, we can get some early three looks from Joe in the role that Boyan had. What I think is not understood well enough about who we are is that if you actually look at our transition possessions this year, Boyan used the most transition of any player on the team. 
And so that's the role that Joe needs to take with Mike being back. Joe's going to get his opportunities. Quinn's going to go find the matchups he wants. And, and without Will Barton and without Gary Harris, Denver only has really one good on-ball defender. And so with Conley, Ingles, and Mitchell, you've got three on three pick-and-roll guys, all who can go find the matchup. Um, and I think we'll see more, um, and Joe's great at setting this up, I think we'll see more what I would call almost, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but uh, uh, open side kind of pin down pick and rolls. And so what I mean by that is Donovan or Conley starts at the baseline and or Joe and Rudy comes down and sets a pick for them and they get the ball from a pass at about the exact moment they'd be crossing over the pick anyway. And so it's actually kind of an in motion pick and roll by that moment, if that makes sense there. And there's nobody in that corner. So, what ends up happening is if they go under and try to gap it, this Joe or Mike or Donovan can step back and get an open three. And if they go over it, then you're rolling to the basket. And if they try to switch it, then Rudy's rolling for a dunk. I think you'll see a little evolution of the offense there. Um, Cause I think Denver will do less of that tepid pick double teaming. That was so unsuccessful in game two. So you already talked about it a little bit, but explore and expound. How big of a loss is it to not have these two guys for the nuggets? I think it's huge, um, and I don't think it's been talked about enough. I mean, I know we were missing our guys, but just when you're trying to evaluate your opponent. So they're minus 3.5 per 100 possessions this year when you don't have one of them in the lineup. So, Or just, you know, if you take go to their lineups and take out Gary Harris and Will Barton, they're minus 3.5 per 100 possessions. So that's, you know, that's about a 32-33 win team. Minus 3.5. So they, you know... I know Michael Porter Jr.'s gotten hot and has a lot of things he does great, and he's going to be a bona fide scorer. I, I also, like, I've had enough of the Michael Porter Jr. show. Like, I'm sorry. Like, as a fan, like, here, I'm just going to be a total fan. Like, he's only doing one thing. Okay, so he's dribbling once to his left and shooting, and he's catching and shooting. He is not a good isolation player. He's a terrible pick-and-roll player right now. He's 20 years old. He's still a baby. He's going to be unbelievable. But the player we're playing right now – like, could we please close all the way out and touch him? Like, if you watch, whenever we touch him, he gives it up. Like, I just don't think he's particularly physical. And, like, it's, we don't need to let him have 25 again. Like, he's brilliant. He's going to get 16 or 18 just because he's so good and his shooting pocket is at six foot ten, and he's that good. But, like, some hard closeouts on him. And make him, like, if you watch, anytime he tries to go one-on-one, he's just not comfortable. He's too tall, frankly, for some of it. It's like what makes Durant so incredible is that seven feet, he's got a tight enough handle, he can do it. But there aren't many seven-one guys who can play iso ball on you, and he's 6'10". Um, and so I, I, I think that that's where they, you know, so if we can and if we can quiet Michael Porter Jr. a little bit, then they're going to miss Gary Harris and Will Barton on the offensive end as well. Their offense, we haven't stopped him yet. But on the defensive end, they truly miss Will Barton and Gary Harris because they just don't have enough defenders right now. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So the way the Nuggets win is to outscore the Jazz then, right? They have to win in shootouts. It's not, this isn't going to play out any other way. Because I'm wondering how they, – they, they've shot over like 51.5% from the three-point line in these first two games. Like, okay, Kyle Korver did that for a year, but nobody does that. Certainly no team does that. That's like 15 points above what they did in the regular season. they got to cool off and miss some of these threes. No, they got a 20% three-point shooting game coming. I agree. Like, 
if I'm Denver, there are things I would be worried about and things I wouldn't be worried about. Um, like, I don't think that the Jazz figured out the Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic two-man game in game two. Like, I, that, if you actually look at the data, they ran it like 13 times in the first three quarters and only scored four times in game one. They ran it 11 times in the first three quarters, scored four times. You know, when the game got tight, they ran it for 15 straight possessions and scored on 11. So, like, we didn't, we haven't, we haven't solved that. We solved it just as much as we did in game one until they got tight with it and then they torched us. So I, I don't have a feeling that that answer has happened yet. Um, I think the Jazz did a nice job of getting Murray. I got an interesting note for you on Murray. I'll give you if you have a second. Uh, I thought they did a nice job. But the, the area from Denver I'm concerned is I'm shooting 51% from three and I'm one and one in the series. Like that, that would have me very concerned because I think they should have a bad shooting night at some point. Now shooting's better in the bubble and it's getting better every day. People, it's just, you know, it's the same sight lines every single day, and people are getting used to it. So the shooting is better in the league right now than it's ever been before. So we had on Kenny the Jet Smith, and he was talking about some of these younger guys, basically Big with time. that, yeah, with that break equaled uh, what it would be tantamount to the summer break. So he's his uh, point was guys like Mitchell and others, but we'll focus on Mitchell here. That this is the start of their fourth year. Uh, do you think this break, for whatever the reasons might be that we had, ended up hastening the development of Mitchell? So it's interesting. I had a similar – the answer is yes. Um, and I think the same thing with Michael Porter Jr. and the same thing with Joan Morgan and Mia Oni and all these kids. Um, though I had a similar – I had a conversation with Kevin Pelton about this. And Kevin Pelton in his intellectual kind of stats manner had a different take on it. We have created – false timings by which people improve because we have something called the beginning and the end of seasons. But if you, and occasionally you hear someone say, Oh, he got better after the all-star break. Kevin's point of view is there's just a natural progression over time that you actually just are kind of on a steady improvement, you know, the whole way through. And then it's most noticeable to us when we reset our statistics at the beginning of a season. But he said, if you actually ran it continuously, you would just see it. So he doesn't think it's like the beginning of the fourth year. He just thinks it's August of your third year, right? That you're actually just on a natural progressive uh, improvement over time and that that's what's going on. So it's a, it's a little bit thought of it a little differently, and I actually think it's more accurate than the arbitrary start and end dates that we've put on things. But it's the same concept that, yes, Donovan Mitchell is a better player today than he was for five months ago because he was a better player five months ago than he was five months prior and five months prior to that. So Joe Ingles was telling us that Donovan watches a phenomenal amount of video, an amount of video that Joe would never, ever try to consume. But he says he's just, he's all about it. It's nonstop. You're around him on flights and buses and all that kind of stuff. Have you seen that? Does Donovan really watch way more video? You know, I didn't know that. I mean, I know Donovan watches video. I didn't know he watched way more video. Um, I mean, Donovan talked about at the end of one year that he's going to go back and watch all 82 games. Um, and I don't know if he actually ever completed that after his, fresh, after his rookie year. Um, you know, I know he works, right? Like, he and Rudy, um, in every city we're on the road, they go to a gym the night before a game. They have a gym. They go with their coaches every night before. So if we're in Orlando or actually that's a bad example because that's where the ball was. So let's say we're in, you know, Miami and we're playing. If we didn't play that day, they may have practiced, but they're at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, they're going to a gym to go get shots. And both those guys are. 
Um, so I know that aspect of him, and maybe some of that is included in that. Um, and I know I was talking to Johnny Bryant recently, and um, during the during the seeding games, I just checked in with him, and you know he was off to go um, with Donovan to go shoot. And actually, I checked in with Lamar Skeeter, and he was off with I think he was out going with Rudy to go shoot, or maybe it was Donovan at a different time. So they're doing the same thing in the bubble. They have ballrooms that they go to. I mean, these guys just work endlessly, so um, it doesn't surprise me that Donovan watches that much film. I'm a guy who really doesn't get caught up in the final outcome of games. I get caught up in the competition of the actual games themselves. That's what entices me. And I am really enjoying the competition that Rudy Gobert is putting out there with him and Jokic and all that stuff. How fun is that for you to watch that? You know, it's great. And it's interesting. You just phrased it in a way that I didn't. I've actually phrased it as a tip of the hat to Jokic because I think I know Rudy so well. But so many bigs that we watch – once Rudy blocks their shot or alters their shot or changes their first shot and they realize how hard it is to go to the rack, then Anthony Davis and Carlton Towns, I mean, not to mention names, stop going to the basket. We've seen it a million times, right? Like early in a game, a guy tries Rudy. They try him a second time. Both the times they end up like with the shots that we're seeing Jokic take, which are like these falling backwards, trying to create a shooting angle out of nowhere because the seven foot nine wingspan just evaporates you know, just absolutely eclipsed everything that you wanted to shoot where you wanted to shoot. And then we watched these guys just go become shooting guards. And Jokic, to his credit, has no part of that. Like, he just keeps coming at Rudy and going inside and trying different things and using his footwork. And I think it's an awesome battle because you know Rudy's not going to relent, right? And usually Rudy, to Rudy's credit, the way you phrased it, usually Rudy's kind of mentally beats guys and they decide – you know, we haven't seen Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns in a playoff series, so that would be maybe, you know, I, I feel like they just decide, all right, this is one of 82 and it's just going to be really hard and I'm just not a part of it. So I'm going to get mine the, some other way today. And I think they don't want to be on House of Highlights. Um, and I just don't think Jokic cares about House of Highlights. And I don't, you know, maybe it's being European and it's just relentless, like going at Rudy and Rudy's just never going to back down. So it is awesome. And I just tip my hat to both of them at the highest level for what they're putting out there. And then, you know, I talked to Rudy yesterday and uh, you may have heard it. And he put in a lot of work. Like he went through a really tough time here, right? He gets COVID he's national worldwide scorn for his, his grabbing the microphones and being careless and I mean, he's a pariah at that point. And he, I thought it was really interesting because I know he'd worked really, really hard on his game. You know, he, he obviously had a different little bit of angle. Once he got healthy, he didn't have the same risk that everybody else had of getting coronavirus. Again, seemingly, we don't entirely know, but that seems to be the case. And so he was able to, to, to really work. But I thought it was interesting yesterday when I asked him about it. The first thing he said is, I got my, my mind right. And he really did have to go through a process to get his mind right. And he talked about boxing and yoga and a lot of things to get his mind right first. And then, and then he started working on his game. But you're seeing the areas, like some of the footwork stuff he's doing from the top of the, from the free throw line, um, you know, are pretty impressive. He has a gym in his house. And so he worked, he worked really hard and he had people that were working with him. So, do you think Jokic, the Nuggets, but you know the best players are the most important ones, especially in the playoffs. Do you think they're 
completely embarrassed that they got blown out, and Jokic said he got his shot spiked off the floor at the end of the half, and they come back with a super effort. Or if the Jazz come out and play well and build a big lead, do they know they're beaten? And then your whole thought of uh, Cancun on three, what the heck do we need to be in the bubble for when we know we're done? We're missing two guys that we really need to have, and this just isn't going to happen. So they were really awful. When I rewatched the film, and I'm not trying to be like hot takey or critical, I actually mean it as, as, as a compliment to them. I mean, I've seen Denver play. I've seen Denver play well. That was not Denver. Okay, I rewatched that game. They 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 were passive. They kind of did these pseudo double teams, and then they just didn't have an impact. We passed the ball. The double team would move it freely all the way around. They didn't impede anyone's progress. They they got chippy for a minute, but it was fake chippy. They just were off. Like, was it because Will Barton left the bubble earlier in the day, and that was really deflating to them? Was it just because they'd won game one? I don't know what the reason was, but they were not sharp. And they're good. They're the second seed last year and the third seed this year. They're really good. Now, they may be less good, as we talked about, without Will Barton and Gary Harris, but that performance is not who they are. It's not who a Mike Malone coach team is. And so they're going to be wildly different. Like, we're not running through the lane making every cut we want to make. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see what they do defensively. I, I think that's, to me, the biggest storyline here is that they made a massive defensive adjustment to, even after a win. It's pretty unusual, and it backfired, and it didn't work. And so now, as a coaching staff, do you hold your ground and say to your guys, no, we were right, we're just going to do it better, or do you say, ah, we actually blew it, and we're going to go back to our defense at game one, and oh, by the way, they're going to run Donovan off picks, and you're going to be switched onto him, and he's just going to go one-on-one and isolate you. Or do you have a third adjustment you're going to make? Like, I think that's what's super interesting in this series. And so there's where if, you know, if they do make a significant third adjustment or they go back to the first one and the Jazz torch them again, then where do you go from there? I think that's, that's the area where maybe they could be lose a little spirit but I think you're going to see a totally different Denver team. Um, I'm not one. I mean, I thought the Jazz were going to win the series when the series started because I thought we had three pick-and-roll ball handlers and they didn't have enough defenders without Barton and Harris, and I just didn't think they could shoot it well enough without Barton and Harris, so that was my thought process going in, and now I think we can win three out of five for that exact same reason, but I'm not one who thinks that game two was some indicator – that Quinn has broken Denver the way he did Oklahoma City in that series, but I could be maybe he did. You know, last thing before we let you go, the play, if you haven't seen it, uh, uh, go back and watch it, but when you were talking about Porter not being physical, did you see the Nuggets start to get mad at him for his lack of a blockout, which really he should have been pushing Gobert under the basket because he kind of had him there halfway and then he let him off the hook. And Gobert gets that dunk right at the buzzer at the half. The Nuggets were not happy with their young teammate. I mean, I'm going to give Porter a little bit of a break here. Like, he's 20, right? Yeah. Isn't he 20? Yeah. He's 20. He's 6'10". He doesn't have strength. And he's had two back surgeries. Like, he might not like contact yet. He's probably not as strong as the grown men that are out there hitting him, and he's had two back surgeries. So I think it's part of his progression. I just don't – I think if we hit him a little bit, he's not going to be – we can just take advantage of him not being as good here. Mm. And just, you know what, like, I think I use this analogy – I don't know who I use this analogy with, but do you remember Pejor Stoyakovich? Yeah. 
like he would take one dribble to his left and shoot every time. Like Michael Porter Jr. is the same thing. Like when, when we close out, can we just go and put it? I mean, like you got to make sure you don't let wide open right hand drive to him. But like, get on it so that that left dribble is uncomfortable, and see if we can take that away. Because he really like that's his one bounce move. But the minute you get him, I have the data. I mean, I can send it out. But like, if if he's in a pick and roll, he's like three of fifteen shooting for the season. Um, he's still just so inexperienced. Like, this is why we're putting him in pick and roll. He's only guarded 125 pick and rolls in his entire career. Right? Like, just to put that in perspective, like, Joe Ingles ran 1,600 this year. Like, Michael Porter's, like, defended 125 pick and rolls in his entire career. So, um, you know, there's just ways to take advantage of him. And um, we just, you know, but he's as good a shooter as there is in the league right now. He's 20 years old. David, we appreciate it. We'll hear you on the hear you on the game later today. All right, talk to you soon. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. He's here every Friday. And of course, David in his free time, because he's got free time, uh, runs the uh, Locked On series of podcasts. And from the Locked On Nuggets podcast, we're going to talk with Adam Mares about many of these issues and game three. That's coming up at nine o'clock. Stay with us. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank on 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Game 3, Jazz and Nuggets today at 2 o'clock on TNT and AT&T Sportsnet. The Zone's coverage begins at 1 o'clock with the pregame show. Mike Conley expected to be available today. He does have to take one more test for COVID-19 before he's cleared to play. Uh, Elsewhere in the West today, it'll be Clippers and Mavericks. They're tied at a game apiece. They play at 7 o'clock on TNT. Uh, Other games in the West, the Rockets beat the Thunder 111-98. The Rockets, the only team in the West able to get a 2-0 advantage in their series. The Lakers and Blazers tied at a game piece after the Lakers blew out the Blazers 111-88. Damian Lillard dislocating the index finger on his left hand. He says he'll be able to play in Game 3. The x-rays were negative. Back to Basketball Update presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. My uh, son's got a friend who is going out of town, and she asked him to cat sit for her. And so we have a cat coming over to her house. I think Scotty's going to be Dr. Evil here in about a day's time. Pet didn't be like, I love you, Mr. Bigglesworth. What was the name of your cat that you had for a while? I don't want to talk about him because I had him only for a short time. And and you, you tweeted out a picture of how proud you were, and you got mocked. I did everything I could to, to save that little cat. He had some mental issues. I had to get him on Pro's Cat. Boom. <laughs> uh, really? I might We're going to just let that go. That might be the worst joke you've ever told. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Question of the morning. Mike Conley, what do you expect? Expectations for Mike Conley Jr., his first game back in the bubble. 
What's it going to be? Mark says 57 points. I think that's comedy, PK. Well, I'm going Jose Canseco, 30-30. Bad Vinny says a triple-double. Ooh. Rob says 58 points. <laughs> okay. Uh, Gecko Gakata, who, who tweets at us all the time, says, Would 20 and 8 be expecting too much? I really just want another win. And if he helps, I'm happy. That's, That's the bottom line. That is the bottom line right there, right? Yeah. I don't see any reason why he can't do that. Brian says, As long as the Jazz get another W, he could give two points, one assist as a stat line, and I'd be happy. <laughs> I thought Locke's most interesting take was that right early, and we go back and play it, and maybe I need to listen to it a little closer, but that it's up to Joe, the way I took it, to be more engaged more. Mm -hmm. And so maybe he's not as engaged, so it's really on Joe. That's somewhat critical. Yes. On how you want to look at it. Uh, So to me, it's not about uh, what I took from that. It's not about... Conley taking away from Joe. It's about Joe. I mean, where do you want to go with that? Joe pouting? Joe just not feeling engaged because of uh, lack of opportunity? I mean, there's a whole spectrum. I'm not sure. I don't know where to go with it. I would say that, uh, you know, I like to go to, uh, you know, think, things are, how do you phrase it? Uh, I expect to see what I've been seeing. And if you go back, Jeff Hornacek wants it's more fun to be the first or second option. You're involved. The third option, if, especially if you're good at your job, you're just a decoy. People aren't leaving me when they go to double Carl. <laughs> so John's going to hit the open guy. Well, the open guy's not going to be me. <laughs> he says, you do your job. He says, this isn't the most fun job in the world. And I thought what Locke said, that it was Bogdanovich who's really opened up opportunities for Joe. Let it fly, Joe. That in transition, it's not old day. I mean, yes, if you're all by yourself, you're looking for a dunk. But, you know, if it's a three on two, you're looking for a three-pointer. So and the lack of Bogdanovich. The lack of, yeah, with Bogdanovich out, he was the guy who would get up court and it's three on two and he'd go to the wing or the corner and hit a three-pointer. Well, now it's Joe taking that shot. Well, Running fast breaks and shooting threes. What point of that? Don't, what part of that don't you like? And that Conley coming back does it impact Joe some? Sure, some. But really, it's Bogdanovich's absence that's opening stuff up for Joe. Yeah, see, I don't think it's just exclusively shooting though with Joe. I think he wants to be involved. I think that he would just as soon have a nifty pass. I think he yeah. takes as much, if not more, satisfaction from making a sweet bounce pass on that pick and roll on the left side, leading to a dunk by Rudy. Yeah, and he likes to come across half court, get that screen from Rudy way out from the basket. Sometimes, you know, thirty, thirty-five feet, whatever, way out there, and then he's running, quote unquote, downhill. And if he slides some pretty pass to Rudy for a dunk, yeah, he thinks that's awesome. So I don't see where it's just about Bogdanovich's absence being personally gratifying exclusively to Joe, because I think he seeks gratification beyond hitting shots. Now, yes, I'd agree with everybody that. Everybody wants to hit shots, but Joe was wired a little differently. But it's one more thing that keeps him involved. And I think it's a high level. It's not just one. It is one more thing. But for Joe and his mindset in his game, it very well could be the highest level. 
It'd be the number one thing he would say. If, I, if we asked him and truth serum and all that stuff, you get to pick what you want to do on offense. Run, pick, and roll, throw Rudy and lob for an alley-oop and have the, well, now they don't have fans, but, you know, have that have the reaction, whether it's just teammates in this case uh, in the bubble, uh, but normally at a home game. Yeah, you, know, I have, you that, have the place going nuts. That's yeah, a he, high level of satisfaction. He does. He loves that, and that's and that's great. That's why I think he's been so popular with the guys. Is that he's not <laughs> right. just jacking it up. The best teammate is the teammate who wants to pass and <laughs> love that. Everybody teammate. loves that. Everybody yeah. loves that teammate. Yeah, and so he probably if you. You know, you were to poll guys individually, guys that have come and gone and guys that are still there and on there now. You know, who's your favorite teammate? I, I, my guess is Joel would win that poll because that's that's who he is. So there's something to be said there. Now, that's up to Quinn Snyder, not exclusively either, too, but, you know, to make sure that his guys are involved in the levels that are best for the team. It's all about the team. And, I mean, obviously, I didn't get here. I wasn't here when Frank Layden and, and Tom Nasolke were coaching, and but obviously here for the bulk of Jerry Sloan's career. And that's what it was about. It was about the team. It was about winning. Everything was about the team. And that this organization has been outstanding about not letting crap get in the way of being about the team, which to me, when, once you say it's about the team, it's a synonym for saying it's about winning. And whatever it takes to win is what we're going to do. So they've got to find ways to make sure Joe is – being utilized because you just can't ignore it. You can't expect, well, well, you're getting 14 million bucks, so you need to just bust it every time. I mean, you're dealing with human beings, and that sounds good on the surface, but when you're dealing with personalities and egos and feelings and all those types of things, you know, that's why a coach, uh, maybe more so at the professional level than any level, has to wear so many freaking hats, and his job description goes far beyond any X and O. I mean, any fool can read basketball for dummies and come up with a bunch of X and O's, but it's so much more than that. And so those guys, led by Quinn Snyder, have to find a way to make sure Joe is engaged to the utmost of his ability. So that'll be something to watch here today. It's another intriguing subplot. Now, I do think that because it's the playoffs, that that, all, that stuff always takes a back seat, and it's about winning. If you're whining in the playoffs about playing time, then you're a loser. <laughs> you are you're totally. Not, you're you're, not you're in the way. Yeah. <laughs> you are in the way. Uh, Rob tweets at us. Mike Conley starts, but his usual rotation lately has been to play a lot of minutes with the bench units. He's vastly superior to Moutier. The Jazz are much better with him back. The Nuggets should feel very worried. Mm, yeah, I think the Nuggets should be concerned, but there should also be a lot of concern relative to themselves yes. on how they could play better rather than worrying about is Mike Conley going to play, is he not going to play. You have to take into account Mike Conley for sure, obviously. But if I'm the Nuggets and Mike Malone, I'm worried about my guys, what I can do, what we can do to make sure we're playing as well as we can because you know they were on pace for whatever they would, 50-some victories, which is what they had last year. Uh, they got two guys that I don't, and I agree with Locke 100%. We, particularly on the west side of the mountains here, we're not focusing enough on the fact that they are missing two critical components because they're not really a team filled with just these overwhelming superstars. So it's more of a team aspect. And you're taking not one, but two guys out, two guys 
And we tend to look, oh, we didn't have Bogdanovich and, and yeah. uh, Conley. But, but we don't oh, look at okay. their injuries. You just look yeah. at our injuries. Yeah. I mean, that's a significant loss over there that they're having to deal with. And this Porter Jr., you know, they're sort of trying to incorporate him on the fly. And he is just a young pup. I mean, he not only is he not 20, I mean, he is 20, not only 20 is what I mean, is that he has no college experience to base it on. And then he sat out. So he sat out for a like basically two years and trying to get him back into basketball shape so to speak and then mixing him in with this team here uh to me i i don't know why Locke was criticizing him if he gives you anything it to me it's 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 a bonus because he's just barely getting started and he probably didn't play a whole you know he just basically had some high school so he's he's essentially going from high school to the NBA with two years off. So what you're looking for here is the word he's raw. Lots of potential, but that talent is just not developed yet. And to put him in pressure situation in the playoffs and everybody's hunting a great matchup. And as Locke said, the, the Nuggets have gone from three good on-ball defenders who could get into that pick and roll and defend and they've gone from three to one. And so now the Jazz are out there, you know, you're, you're always looking for the weak link in the chain and attack that. And now there's multiple options for the Jazz to attack. And they're doing it. And Donovan's doing it. And he's putting up huge numbers. All right, DJ and PK, we'll run all this by Adam Mares, co-host of the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Join us at 9 o'clock, DNVR Sports. We'll do that coming up in 20 minutes. Stay with us. It's been a long four months. Welcome. Oh, Donovan, don't do me like that. But finally, the NBA is back. Back up and hammer. That is filthy, Rudy. Catch every second of every moment of Utah Jazz basketball. As the Jazz resume play from the bubble in Orlando, your exclusive home of the Utah Jazz is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. All right, PK, game three. It's the Jazz. We're five hours away, a little more than five hours. Two o'clock today, it's the Jazz and the Nuggets with the series tied 1 1. And that's a little theme building here in the West. The Lakers beat the Blazers to tie the series 1 1. The Clippers and Mavericks are tied 1 1. And Luka Doncic is throwing down the, te- the gauntlet for his teammates. Believe. If you don't believe we're going to win, what are you doing here? Get out. And then you got the Rockets, the outlier, 2-0 over the Thunder. I was watching some of that yesterday, and it just kind of felt like the Rockets were toying with them. I don't, I don't know that the gap is that big, but sitting there watching the game, it looked that big. Yeah, I think that's the biggest surprise because the gap does look that big, and the gap is big without Westbrook. And that's something that I wouldn't have anticipated because the Thunder had a better-than-expected season and it seemed like they had some things going on, the rhythm, the chemistry, and all those types of things seemed like it was there. Now, it's when you're down 0-2, there is no, yeah, we're going home. They just held serve, all that crap that you hear. So <laughs> it's out the window, and the fact is that you're going nowhere, literally and figuratively, and you're down 0-2. So that's, to me, in the West, 
and that's what I'm focused on. That's the biggest surprise. The other thing about it is that we've seen some all the other series uh, being one-on-one, and that just proves that you know this is the thing where it's anything can happen. You hear that a lot in sports, anything can happen, when reality is it's not true. <laughs> right. You, know, it, you just say that hoping anything can happen. I can remember well, the, when the youths were going back to play Kentucky in Minnesota in the Sweet 16, <laughs> Uh, and I just felt like, man, this is a waste of time getting yeah. on this t- on this plane. I you weren't alone. My, talking with my mother. No, oh, anything could happen, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, yeah, I just don't see it. It seems like it's a waste of time. And, I mean, they were up by 30. Guys were in the press room, including myself, making reservations to get home at halftime. Oh, yeah. You know, and you, you, know, were, you were late because that thing was over in four minutes. Yeah. And so that's a nice phrase, but a lot of times it's just there's no foundation. Well, here it is a foundation, and I'm, I don't know if the Jazz are going to get by Denver. Uh, they can get by Denver. I'm more convinced of that than ever. And I think today is a real, real critical game. A lot of times they say, you know, game five. But I think today, because now this one will have your lineup, provided knock on wood, throw salt over your shoulder, whatever you want to do there, that the Jazz have no further injuries. This is their team in the postseason. They've played two games without their team. Well, the Nuggets have played two games without their team, but this is their team because it doesn't look like the other two guys are coming back. So this is their playoff team. It's not close to what it was in the regular season. But same thing for the Jazz. This with Conley back here today. This is their playoff team. So if they can win, then well, yeah, man, we we got our guys. We're we're up. Uh, we've taken two out of three. Things are looking great. Doesn't mean they're going to win it, but things are looking great. So the point I'm trying to make is, as I've watched these Western Conference games, and I've watched every single one of them, is that uh, you win this series. You know, you're you're the underdog. If the Clippers win next series, but or then win this series and you play them, you may not. But the point I'm making is that man, this thing is wide open. It is like anything we haven't. We I don't know that we've ever seen the ba- basketball in a seven game series of of sports that have second seven game series, and we don't follow hockey that much. Is that this is the most predictable? Nine times out of ten, you could predict a winner. I don't know that you can now. I think watching uh, Houston take this 2-0 lead over Oklahoma City, I think a couple things. One, Oklahoma City may be a classic uh, example of in the regular season, if you got a good coaching staff and a couple of good players and there isn't a lot of prep time and there's a lot of travel, you do a great job of hiding your flaws. You really accentuate what you do positive. You know, credit those star players and the coaching staff. But you get in the playoffs – and people have time to figure you out, it's a problem. And I think the other thing here is that Houston has been a four seed two years in a row, but realistically, Houston gets knocked out of the playoffs by the Warriors. That's how that works. They've been the second best team in the West. Harden's unbelievable, but there's one of him, and the Warriors have been sitting on, you know, depending on how you want to count it, two, three, four stars, depending on the level of stardom you want to go to. And that's too much even for Harden. The Rockets are that good, and... Harden gets worn down in the regular season, but he had four months off to get refreshed. And watching him right now, and it's not like he had a huge stat line, because he didn't. But that's what I mean about it. They were toying with him. You know, they were, ex- they were experimenting with, hey, let's give Austin Rivers possessions and give James a little bit of time off, and we'll save him for later. And 
The Rockets are just better than that regular. That regular season record is a mirage. They're better than that. They were better than that last year, and they're yeah. better than that now. I don't know about last year because this is an entirely different team than last year. So I, I, they're better. So what you're saying, they're better without Westbrook. I'm wondering that. Well, you, you know, you're I know. saying it. Well, if they're better than their regular season, Westbrook was there in the regular season. He's not there now. That equals A plus B equals C type of thing. That means they're Except better for, without Westbrook. So, so here's Diaz. How many times do you want the ball out of Harden's hands, and do you choose it or does it happen? Like, when it's going to Rivers, I think they're choosing to give him some possessions off. But every time the ball is in Westbrook's hands, is that what the Rockets want? Some of the time it is because they don't want to wear Harden out. But do they have to put Westbrook in there too much? He's not a good perimeter shooter. Harden's better with three-point shooters around him. So, yes, does Westbrook... Crunch so up you're the saying floor they're times. better without Westbrook. In, Your guy, Daryl Morey, you transi- know more. Way to go. In transition, you want Westbrook because he's unbelievable. But in the playoffs, in a half-court offense, and we haven't seen him in the playoffs in a half-court offense, is it going to bog things down? All right, we'll get to more of that coming up and more on the Jazz and Nuggets next. Adam Ayers, Locked on Nuggets podcast. Stay with us.